John chapter 4, verse 21 and 22 says this. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So it is not enough to know what the Bible says. We must understand what it means. Memorization is good, but it will never take the place of comprehension. You know, you can quote all kinds of Bible verses that you've memorized and not have the foggiest idea what you're talking about. And you know it. Others know it. God knows it. The devil knows it. God wants you to understand his word. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 2 in the Amplified Bible, Paul explained why he labored in ministry and what was his aim or his purpose, what he hoped to accomplish in serving the Lord. He said, so that they, meaning the believers there in Colossae, so that they may have all the riches that come from the full assurance of understanding. That they may have all the riches that come from the full assurance of understanding. So the riches of Christ, all that he is, all that he has provided for us, the riches of Christ come to those who have a full assurance. And a full assurance comes from understanding the message. So in other words, knowledge alone, from knowledge alone, we get a limited faith. But through understanding, we gain a deeper and stronger confidence. Amen. So God wants us to fully apprehend and grasp the message of his word. But to correctly interpret the Bible, we must understand the context of Scripture. By taking certain verses out of their setting, we may come to erroneous, uh, wrong conclusions. We will think the Bible is saying something it doesn't really say. You know, if you overheard a portion of a conversation between two other people, you could easily misunderstand what they're talking about. You just walked in the room and two, heard two people talking about something. You pick up the phone at home and you realize your wife, you know, landline, your wife is on the other line talking to some man and she says, yes, honey, honey, yes, yes, honey. And you think, oh, yeah. Uh-huh, something's going on. But actually, she was talking to the beehive owner, and she's buying one liter of honey. You know, she's telling him, yes, I want honey. Send me honey. So it's easy to jump to conclusions. Of course, in Nagaland, some people, the only exercise they get is running after rumor and jumping to conclusions. Praise the Lord. Amen. But when we read the context of Scripture... Sometimes that means reading like not just one verse, but the whole passage or maybe the whole chapter. It could actually be better to read the whole book. In fact, actually the best context is the whole of Scripture. Then when we do that, we gain a clearer understanding of what the Scripture actually says. We need to know the whole Bible, not just the sum total of its parts. In other words, you could know, I know this verse, this is my favorite verse, oh yeah, here's a verse I know, here's a verse I know, and you've got this pile of verses, but you don't see how those words are connected to each other. The Bible is not a fortune cookie. 
You go to a Chinese restaurant, maybe, I don't know if it's like this for you. We don't, we don't have a lot of Chinese restaurants, but you go to a Chinese restaurant, you know, in some places, and with the meal comes a little Chinese little cookie, and you crack it open, there's a little slip of paper, and it says, uh, something good will happen to you today. You know, you know oh, oh, what does yours say? Mine says, please pay bill now. You know, so, uh, <laughs> but the Bible's not like that. You can't just open the Bible, close your eyes, and point to a scripture and say, that's the will of God. And Jesus went out and hanged himself. Oh. Oh, try again. And Jesus said, go thou and do likewise. No, that's not the way to read the Bible. Amen? Amen? I mean, some people, they're trying to roll dice. They're trying to, that's how, they're trying to discern God's will. Should I marry Brother Dumb Funny or not? Open your Bible. Go thou forth. Oh, yes, that's it. <laughs> that's not the way to read the Bible. Amen? And not only do we need textual context, and what that means is seeing how one statement relates to all the other statements around it, we need this, historical context. Now there's a reason, we have to have understanding. That will give us full assurance, that will give us access to the fullness of Christ. So we need to have historical, we need to see the historical context. The Bible is not a book of random thoughts. Through the ages, God spoke by his spirit to his people at particular moments in time. You see. And while his truth is eternal, if we do not recognize the historical context of scripture, it is possible we can misinterpret and therefore misapply scripture. And that's why we have faith failures. That's why things don't work out properly because we're trying to make the Bible say something it doesn't really say. So it's very important to do that. So we need to see, I know this is a little technical, like I said, this, is a, this, isn't, this isn't just something light and frothy, but, but I'm, I have a reason for saying this. We need to see the historical context of scripture. It will help us because we need to understand it. You will never fully understand the present without understanding the past. In our modern culture today, we tend to be very dismissive of history. You know, just sort of like, ah, you know, that's, you know, we think that what happened long ago is irrelevant for today. It doesn't matter. Well, if that's the case, then the cross doesn't matter because that happened 2,000 years ago. No, it is relevant. And we have to, we cannot apply the truth today without knowing what happened in the past. Right? Praise the Lord. So it is important. Hallelujah. And the Bible tells us that it's so. Let me give you a scripture. Romans 15 verse 8. Romans 15 and verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to, the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs. Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs. Jesus did not come into this world to start a new religion. He came to fulfill the promises that were made to the descendants of Abraham. That's exactly what this verse is telling us. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The New Testament uses the word fulfill about 10 times to explain why certain things happened to Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem to fulfill the scriptures. You know, they, he, had to, he went to Egypt and, they, and, and then afterwards they came out of Egypt to fulfill what was said in the scriptures. For example, in John 19, 28, John 19, 28, after this Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. So while Jesus hung on the cross, his enemies gave him vinegar to drink, which seems like an 
odd and particularly cruel thing to do. But it fulfilled the prophecy that was given in Psalm 69, verse 21. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine, or in other words, vinegar, to drink. Even the minute details of his life were foretold. And certain things had to happen because he came to fulfill the promises and the prophecies that God gave to the people of Israel. Amen. Praise the Lord. So now let's go back to John chapter 4 for a second. Jesus talked to a woman from Samaria about living water, which he was offering her. She would never thirst again. Again, some historical context without belaboring the point, but some historical context would, give, would help us a little bit to better understand what's going on here. After the death of King Solomon, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. I'm sure many of you, you know this. The southern kingdom consisted of the tribe of Judah, along with the tribe of Simeon, which was actually kind of like embedded in the tribe of Judah and kind of was absorbed by Judah, and also the little tribe of Benjamin, and then some of the Levites because they didn't have a piece of land. They lived in all sorts of places. That was the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom consisted of the remaining tribes of Israel. And because of their persistent idolatry, God handed the northern kingdom over to their enemies. Around the year 721 BC, the Assyrians besieged and conquered Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom. The city was the capital of the northern kingdom. And most of the people were taken captive and carted away to Assyria. And you need to know this. And from then on, they largely, mostly ceased to exist as a people. In other words, you want to meet someone from the tribe of Dan? Good luck. Right? You want to meet someone from the tribe of Issachar? Well, good luck with that. Because they cease to exist. They no longer exist as, as, a, as, a, as a group of people. They were just absorbed into the Assyrians, the Assyrians into the Babylon Empire, Mede Persians. They just, they just cease to exist, you see. Hallelujah. The king of Assyria resettled other people from his empire into the region of Samaria to inhabit that land. And these immigrants... They married, they married the remaining, the few Israelites who remained in Samaria. The poorest of the people were left there. They intermarried with these people. And when they tried to join themselves to the Jews, Jew means from the tribe of Judah, the southern kingdom. When they tried to join themselves, the Jews rejected them. So they developed their own religion. They developed their own religion, which was somewhat loosely based on the law of Moses, you see. However, instead of worshiping in Jerusalem, because that's in Judea, they worshiped on Mount Gerizim. In fact, there are Samaritans even to this day who live in the nation of Israel, and that's what they do even now. Did you know that? So... The woman in Samaria, this is now 2,000 years ago, the woman in Samaria brought up this point of contention in John 4, verse 20. You know, you guys worship in Jerusalem, but our fathers worship on Mount Gerizim. And she's basically saying, who's right? And Jesus told her that true worship does not come from a place on the map, but from a place in the heart. But, I think we know that, but he also said this, and this is really what I want to get to. It'll take some time, but I, there's a place I'm going, there's a reason I'm doing that, and just today I'm only laying a foundation. You'll have to come back in the weeks to come to get more, but in verse 22, Jesus said this, John 4, 22, you, 
meaning you Samaritans, worship what you do not know. In other words, they worship God ignorantly. It's interesting, that's exactly the same thing that Paul said to the people in Athens. I saw, I saw an altar that said the unknown God, the God that you worship in ignorance, that's the one I've come to tell you about, you see. But then he said this, we, and he means we Jews, worship what we know. So worship that is acceptable to God must be based on truth. It must be based on revelation. See, notice Jesus didn't say, well, you guys do it your way and we guys do it our way. He said, no, you're worshiping God ignorantly and that is not acceptable to God. The worship that God requires not only comes from the heart, it's based on truth in spirit and truth. Amen, praise the Lord, amen. Glory to God. And then he said this, for salvation is from the Jews. So notice this. Jesus included himself in that statement. He said, we know what we worship. We means you, we means us. Not just they, we. He's including himself. Jesus was and is God manifested in the flesh. He was not half God, half man. He was 100% God, 100% man. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 3, it says he descended from David according to the flesh. He was a descendant of King David. He was Jewish. And he did not hide the fact that he was Jewish. He did not dismiss it or disregard it. He didn't say to the woman at the well, ah, Jew, Samaritan, Whatever, it doesn't matter. Hey, God loves us all, doesn't he? Amen, we're all God's children, right? No, he didn't say that. He said, you don't know what you're worshiping. We know what we worship, for salvation is from the Jews. He made a distinction. He made a distinction. Salvation, he said, is from the Jews. The Passion Translation says this, for it's from the Jews that salvation is made available. I want to talk to you, and I am talking to you this evening about understanding our Jewish roots. Jesus was Jewish, and his earthly ministry was primarily to the Jews. I said his earthly ministry. I'm not, about, I'm not talking about the cross, but his earthly ministry was primarily to the Jews. When he sent out his 12 disciples for an evangelistic outreach, he instructed them in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Hmm. When a woman from Tyre and Sidon the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is today modern Lebanon. When a Lebanese woman begged Jesus, please heal my daughter, she's demon-possessed, Jesus replied in Matthew 15 and verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But if you go on reading the story, you'll see, but because of her great faith, he stepped over a boundary. It's amazing. He stepped over a boundary because of her faith, and that's a clue. Praise the Lord. Then again, just a thought, in John chapter 12, we won't read it, but uh, the Bible tells us that at the feast of the Passover in Jerusalem, some Greeks showed up. They're not Jewish. They're Greeks. I guess they were just curious. They're interested. And they, they met, uh, I believe, Philip, and they, they knew he was one of Christ's apostles, disciples, and they said, we want to meet Jesus. So evidently, they had heard about Jesus. Why else would they want to meet him? They, they, they have some knowledge of who he is and what's going on. They said, we want to meet him. And so they told Jesus, and Jesus responded in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. But there's no mention that he met them. He didn't say, oh, that's, oh, Wow, that's cool. My ministry is expanding now to different nations. Oh, wow, wonderful. Yeah, bring them on. Yeah, come on, let's do this. 
he knew there were certain limitations to his ministry. He knew that there were prescribed boundaries to his calling and he stayed inside his calling. You and I have to do the same thing. Praise the Lord. Amen. So his ministry was primarily, his earthly ministry, to the Jews. Let me read to you Romans chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Romans 3, verse 1 and 2. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now, the Greek word translated oracles is logion, and it's related to the other Greek word that you might know, logos, L-O-G-O-S. And it means utterance, sayings, or words. The Message Bible says this. First, there's the matter of being put in charge of writing down and caring for God's revelation, these holy scriptures. Paul does not say the Jews were entrusted with some of the oracles of God. He says they were given the oracles of God. So while God revealed himself through creation to all mankind, we, you cannot know God through nature, but you can know there is a God through nature. He, he revealed something of himself, his wisdom, his 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 his. his his attributes through creation, yet there are no Egyptian scriptures. There are no Babylonian scriptures. There are no Greek scriptures. There are no, you know, Hittite scriptures or, or Jebusite scriptures. The only revelation of God we have is through the Jews. Are you listening to me? I mean, they may have their writings, but, but it's bogus. It's false. It did not come from God. If it came from anywhere, it came from the devil. To the Jews were entrusted the oracles of God. That's the only place they were, they were, they were put. Are you listening to me? All the writers of the Bible were Jewish. Or to be more precise, they were descendants of Abraham. In other words... They weren't all from the tribe of Judah. Moses, who wrote the first five books, he was a Levite. And then Paul himself, who wrote half the New Testament, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, you see. But I'm saying Jew, generally speaking, you know. By the way, traditionally, I thought this was interesting. Traditionally, we have, we have always assumed that Luke was, was a Gentile. And scholars have often said that Luke was a Gentile. But actually, that's not certain. It's also possible, maybe he was, I don't know, but it's also possible that he was a Hellenistic Jew, meaning that he spoke Greek as his primary language and he followed Greek culture, but that some scholars think, but he was also Jewish. If that's true, then that means all of the writers, all of the writers of the New Testament were Jewish. Are you listening to me? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The 12 apostles were Jewish. They didn't have like, you know, one semen, one loto. No, they're all Jewish. Paul was Jewish, very Jewish. I mean, really Jewish. James, the Lord's brother, evidently was the head of the church in Jerusalem in the first century AD. And he was certainly Jewish. The early church was, at first, completely Jewish. And they did not think of Christianity as a new religion that their founder had started. This is a new faith. We're all part of this now. That is not how they thought. They saw themselves as descendants of Abraham to whom God had promised the Redeemer, the Messiah, which they had accepted in faith. That's how they saw themselves. And by the way, that's correct. That is exactly correct. They were not mistaken. You are. <laughs> Hallelujah. In fact, at first, these Christians that you read about in the book of Acts, you know, James and John and Andrew and Bartholomew, all these folks, you know, at first, it was hard for them to believe that Gentiles could be saved. 
they did not believe that was possible. You see, it took a spectacular vision from heaven before Peter would even consider visiting the home of a non-Jewish person. Think about that. Think about that. There's an aspect to all of this New Testament that you're not getting. It is the Jewish aspect. These guys are hardcore Jews. We think that Peter's just like some kind of, you know, lumbering, you know, a kind of, you know, uh, uh, spontaneous, maybe sometimes acting rashly, just kind of a lumbering guy. Yeah, he may have been all those things, but don't forget this. He is Jew to the core. They all were. And if you don't realize that, you're gonna, miss, you're gonna miss out some things. You're gonna misinterpret some things, all right? You're gonna skip over things that are pertinent to you in this life. So Peter shared the message of Christ with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 44 to 46. Let's read that. It says this, while Peter was still saying these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Somebody say amazed. They were what? They were amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. How did they know the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles? Next verse, verse 46. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling or praising God. So Peter was accompanied by other Christians, and they're Jewish, because they don't have any non-Jewish Christians. Everybody there, Acts chapter two, you know, so many thousand people, 3,000 people get saved, they're all Jewish people. They're there for the Feast of Pentecost, right? Right, these are all Jewish people, you see. Listen, these believers who came with Peter were astonished, not because they heard people speaking in tongues. They themselves were spirit-filled, tongue-talking believers. It's not like, what's that? Some strange language. What's going on here? No, no, they themselves spoke in tongues. That's not what, that's not what, they, that's not what surprised them. They didn't believe Gentiles could be saved. That's, they did not believe that. They thought a man, a Gentile man, first converts to Judaism. And then he accepts the Messiah, Christ Jesus. That's what they thought, you see. Hmm? They also knew this, that only born-again Christians can be baptized with the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues. This experience is only for believers. Sinners don't get baptized with the Holy Spirit. You don't go up to some stranger on the sidewalk and say, do you speak in tongues? Okay, I'm gonna lay hands on you. No, they might get some wrong spirit. You, you, don't, you preach the gospel to sinners. That's what Peter preached. He preached the gospel. Hallelujah. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Ghost fell on all them. You see, if Cornelius had heard Peter's message and said, oh, I believe, I want to be a Christian, then all of those believers with Peter would have said, great, First thing, go get me a knife from the kitchen. Why, are we gonna make dinner? Uh, Not exactly. (laughs) They would have said, we're gonna circumcise you and you'll become a Jew and then, then we'll baptize you in the name of Jesus and you can become a follower of Christ, just like us. That's what they would have said, you see. The fact is, God poured out his spirit on Gentiles That proved they were already saved. They were saved by hearing and believing the gospel they heard without being circumcised and without being water baptized. You know, we could stop here for a moment. The church has made salvation an uphill climb over obstacles Slippery mud, barbed wire, booby traps. But they've made the way to backslide greased lightning. (laughs) Okay, you've come to receive Jesus. We need you to lie down, prostrate 
on the ground, weep a bucket of tears, and go ahead and repeat the 23rd Psalm, and then we're going to all jump on your back, and we're going to lay hands on you, and we're going to pour three liters of oil on your head, and you're going to confess every sin you've ever confessed, and then we're going to sing Amazing Grace as we do a Jericho march around you, and all kinds of nonsense and silly things that nobody in the Bible ever did. Cornelius heard and believed. He heard and believed. And God said, that's good enough for me, and poured out the Holy Ghost on him. Woo! Woo! Think about that. Think about that. We don't even have to lay hands on nobody. You can be, you can be baptized with the Holy Spirit just sitting there in your chair. I've had people in this church who just came, like maybe a visitor, or maybe they hadn't been to this church very often or whatever, and, they, and I've heard them say to me, we were just praising and worshiping God, and suddenly I felt the Spirit of God come on me, and I started speaking in this strange heavenly language. I said, glory to God. Yeah, but nobody prayed for me. You don't need anybody to pray for me. Just receive. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We don't have to turn everything into some kind of religious ceremony. We can just receive. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Then, in verse 47, Peter said to the people, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Oh, let me stop right here. I just need to say this. Some people, some Christians, they say, Oh, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Oh, I believe in the Holy Spirit. In fact, I believe in being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and I believe we should have the Holy Spirit. But notice Peter said, that these have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Well, when Peter received the Holy Spirit, he was filled and began to speak in other tongues. Some people want to receive the Holy Spirit just as Grandma did. No, I want to receive just as Peter did. I want to receive just as those believers did. I want to receive just like it happened in the book of Acts. I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody. You know, you may have had all kinds of experiences with the Spirit of God, and thank God for that. I, I'm, not, I'm not against that, but that's not, don't stop there. Keep receiving until you're filled. And they were all, Acts 2, 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened? They began to speak. They began to speak in other tongues. Glory to God. It doesn't say they were all filled and they began to dance. Speak in tongues and then dance. Doesn't say they're all filled and they began to scream. Doesn't say they screamed, they began to speak in other tongues. Hallelujah. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. He means this. He's talking to those people with him. Are any of you gonna stop me from baptizing these people? Is there any doubt in your mind that they are saved? And of course, what could they say? You see? The whole point is this. They're Jews. They're looking at things from the Jewish perspective. They didn't think Jews could be saved. And God was telling them, well, we're going to do things a little differently now. You can skip that part. You can just go from the kingdom of darkness straight into the kingdom of light. You don't have to stop somewhere along the roadside and have an operation. You just go straight on in. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. And yet... I know this is not true concerning you, but yet there are some people today in the church world who seem to think that Jews cannot be saved or that they're saved in some other way. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first. And also to the Greek. It says to the Jew first. The gospel is first for the Jew. And then after that, everybody else can jump in too. Several years ago, there were some ministers, well-known ministers, and people who were in like a word of faith type uh, association and they created quite a controversy by suggesting that, uh, that Jews don't need to be born again that all Jews go to heaven and I'd heard that I, I, I've been told that and I thought to myself no no that, that cannot be true these folks 
I, I know they couldn't possibly believe that. That must be some slanderous rumor that other people are spreading. And I was at a minister's conference, and in the men's room, a lot of interesting ha things happen in the men's room. In the men's room, one pastor said to me, I met the daughter of one of these ministers. And the daughter told me, this was, it was actually a woman Bible teacher, the, the daughter told me this, my mother believes that after Jews die, they go to Abraham's bosom or kind of like a place, you know, that's not hell, but like, like a purgatory type place. They go there and, and, they, and Jesus appears to them and, and they pre he preaches the gospel and they get one more chance to be saved. I heard that and I thought, huh, ha, 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 ha. Even our covenant kids know more than some TV preachers. Oh, my Lord. E even the little kids back in the CK, they know more about the Bible, isn't that right, than some <clears throat> so-called ministers. There's nothing in the New Testament that even remotely suggests that Jews go to some other place and they get another chance to hear the gospel. If that's true... Why did Paul even bother preaching to the Jews? Hmm? Huh? Why did he endure persecution from the Jews? He could have just said, oh, let's just, you know, they'll get another chance later on. Uh, why, why was he go through all of the, the rigors of being arrested and tortured if the, oh, the Jews are going to get another chance anyway, so why bother that? And by the way, what is a Jew? Well, circumcised. There are many Gentiles who are circumcised. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> or maybe, oh, well, your mother, if your mother was Jewish, and what makes her a Jew? Huh? There are atheist Jews. There are Jews who don't believe God's word at all. There are, there are non-practicing Jews who don't know, who don't know anything. You certainly know a lot more than they do about God's word. So, so how can that possibly be? Notice this, Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, them is the Jews. My prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So obviously Paul doesn't believe Jews are automatically saved. Why pray for them? Huh? Notice Romans chapter 9, verse 3. I mean, I, this is not a controversy for you, but at least you can know this. Try to look interested. Romans chapter 9, verse 3. For I, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. He's talking about the Jews. Let me read verse 2 and verse 3 in the Passion Translation. For my grief is so intense that I wish I could be accursed, cut off from the Messiah if that would mean that you, my people, would come to faith in him. If Paul believed that Jews get a second chance after they die, why was his grief so intense? Hmm. Why did he bother praying for them that they would be saved? Amen? Because they will be saved the same way as we are through faith in the gospel. Jesus said to the Jews in John 8, 24, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And that means unbelievers die unforgiven and separated from God. Salvation is from the Jews. There is not a Jewish salvation and then a Gentile salvation. There is not a Gentile Messiah and then a separate Jewish Messiah. The same Lord is Lord of all. And through Christ, through faith in him, we all partake of all that God promised and provided for the Jews. Notice with me Romans chapter 9, verse 4. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, 
the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. Notice Paul said these things belong to the Jews. God provided for them. And they could be experiencing these things now if they would turn and receive Christ. And here's the other point. All of these things belong to us now. All of these things belong to us. Let me read it again. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. We have been adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. We have received not the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The adoption now belongs to us. And the glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The word glory is not just a pretty word. The word glory on the one hand means honor. And in a general sense that's true. But specifically it's a technical term. And it means the manifestation of God's presence. The tangible reality of God. Where his presence is so strong it can be felt. It can even be touched. It it affects us even in the natural realm. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Not only the hope of heaven. Heaven is sometimes called glory. But an expectation of experiencing God's presence in this life. Glory to God. The covenants. We now have a new and better covenant based on better promises. And Christ is the high priest. He's the arbiter. He is the one who mediates. He is the guarantee of that covenant. Glory! We're covenant people. I said we're covenant people. Glory to God. That means we are connected to the Father in a permanent union. Just like me and my wife, we're married. That means more than we have pictures in a photo album and we one time ate cake together. That means we are in, a, in an insoluble union. We are connected together. She took my name. She's not just Jepitoli Jamomi. She's now Jepitoli Routon, except in her passport. But otherwise, she's, she's, it's kind of reversed there, but she's, she's, she took my name. We live together. She doesn't live in Kohima, you know, and I live in Twainsong or something like that. We live together. We share. We have a joint bank account. Unless she has some other bank accounts I don't know about. But she, we have a joint bank account. Especially in America, you know, like, it has both of our names on the account. So it's not like the money in the account, half of that is my money and half of that's your money. No, it's all her money. So it, we have a joint <laughs> bank account. Right? Because we're in covenant. Amen. We're in covenant with Jesus. We are not, we're not just know Jesus. We're connected to him. You're not dating Jesus. God is not interested in you dating his son. You are married to him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And now you have the right to use his name. He said, and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. We have his name. In my name, they will cast out demons. In my name, hallelujah, they will heal the sick. We are joint heirs together. Everything that he purchased, everything that he accomplished has been put into a joint account. And now it's both of ours. We share it together. Ooh, glory to God. We don't just visit the Lord. We live with him. Hallelujah. We're covenant people. Covenant people. Ooh. The law. We're not under the law of Moses. We're not trying to go back under the law. But we have a new law. The law of love, the command of Christ, where he said, a new commandment I give you. When the word new doesn't mean additional, it means a new kind of commandment, a new type of commandment. This one commandment actually supersedes all the other commandments. It actually will replace every other commandment that you love others, even as I have loved you. A new new law. 
We have the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We're not under the law of Moses, but we're not lawless. He wrote his law on our hearts. To us belongs the law. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Worship. 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 Oh, my, 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 my. Hallelujah. The Father is seeking for true worshipers. You're not just knocking on his door, baby. He's been knocking on your door. The Father is seeking such to worship him. He's looking. He's looking. He's searching for those who will worship him from their hearts. That must be something he wants. That must be something he, 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 he prizes and values. Ooh, who worship him in spirit and in truth. And Paul said, we are the circumcision who worship God, not in the flesh. Oh, I could preach another sermon right here. Even today, there are people who are worshiping God in the flesh. We don't worship God in the flesh. We don't worship God just with our soul, just with our, only with our emotions. We worship him by the spirit of God. By the Spirit of Jesus Christ, it says in the book of Philippians, we worship God. See, listen to me, listen to me, all of you worshipers. It is not for us to tell God how we would like to worship him. It is for God to tell us how he would like to be worshiped. We're not worshiping ourselves. We're worshiping him. Glory to God. Sometimes we have carnal worship. I could preach three sermons right now. We have carnal, I don't mean you guys. This is great. It's wonderful tonight. Always wonderful. But I'm just saying in general, sometimes we have carnal worship. Sometimes we just get, I know myself, we get a little discouraged, depressed as we start singing the Christian blues. Right? Instead of singing, my mama done left me and, and, and my baby done run off, we, we start singing like, you know, some kind of Christian blues. Sad song. I remember one church me and my wife used to visit years ago, preached there quite regularly. There was one dear brother there. He played the bass, you know, watch out those basses. He played the bass and, and, um, and he, every now and then he would sing a special number, like the same song. And it was kind of like, it's so sad. It's me again, Lord. Oh, real sad. See, that's just carnal worship. Let the saints be joyful in their God. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Nowhere does God tell you to sing the blues. Nowhere does God tell you to talk about how hard life is, how difficult. Yes, there are psalms where it talks about the challenges of life, but if you notice, they always end on a note of victory. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We worship him in spirit and in truth. Woo-hoo. Promises. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. What promises? We've got a book full of them. 66 books full of promises of God. When he says all the promises, that must include everything under the old covenant plus the new. He didn't say some of the promises of God. He said all the promises of God in Christ, in him are yes and amen to the glory of God. Glory to God. So instead of reading the Bible, from the viewpoint of our church culture, we need to see ourselves as covenant people who have been grafted into the stock of Abraham. We are now fellow heirs and partakers of Christ with the Jews who believe. We, the Bible says, the New Testament says, we, both Jew and Gentile, are now one in him. And Abraham is your father by faith in Christ. You are Jewish. You are Jewish. For he is not a Jew that is one outwardly. Neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart by the spirit and not by the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from a God. I asked earlier, well, what is a Jew? Paul answers that question. It's those whose hearts are circumcised, not their flesh. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Woo. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I'll, take, I'll tell you one more thing. 
Listen to me. You're not going to spend eternity in heaven. You mean we're not going to heaven? No, you're going to heaven. I said you're not going to spend eternity in heaven. Go read the book of Revelation. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And then the city of our God, the new Jerusalem, will come down and dwell on this earth. And we shall live there forever. You don't think you're Jewish? Baby, you're going to live in Jerusalem forever. So when you get to heaven, when you do get to heaven, and see Abraham, he's not going to say, oh, yes, all of you people from that country, India, all of you people from Asia, yeah, yes, come here also. No, he's going to say, hello, son. Hello, daughter. For those who are the children of promise, they are the children of Abraham. Now listen, I'm not suggesting that from now on we wear Jewish style clothing in our services. I'm not going to wear like a little yarmulke. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I have a beard, but I'm not going to grow it any longer. And then I didn't do that for the Bible reasons. I, I'm not going to grow it real long. I'm not, we're not going to start wearing phylacteries in this church. Got all these scripture verses, you know, on our foreheads or something like that. Huh? We're not going to start blowing a shofar in our services, a ram's horn. If you do that, the ushers are going to ram that horn. Well, never mind. <laughs> we don't need to do that. If you want to do that in your house, well, that's, up to, that's between you and God. But Okay, fine, but we're not going to do that here. We don't, we don't need to do that. We're not necessarily going to start singing just Jewish-style music. Hava, ha-da-da, hava, ha-da-da, hava, ha-da-da, hey, da-da-da. I mean, if you want to sing that in your house, go ahead. God bless you. That's up to you. But we're not, we don't need to do that. I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I, I, I'm not so much concerned about style. I'm concerned about substance. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. What I mean is all that Christ is. And all that he accomplished for us. Because we are children of Abraham. I know of a Christian minister. And she took a group of tourists to Israel on a tour. And uh, they wanted to go visit uh, Hebron. And I guess if it's there, I'm, I may be mistaken. If you'll forgive me, I'm not so clear on some of these things. But I believe you know, Abraham's tomb was there. And so they, uh, they wanted to go, but they were, they were army. And they said, sorry, they roadblocked. They said, sorry, only Jews are allowed to this place. Only Jews can go to this place. And this woman, she's a Christian, a gospel preacher, Bible teacher, and with others with her, she said, we are Jews. And they said, huh? She said, we are Jews. And she opened up her Bible. And she explained to that border guard that you see, for as many as belong to Jesus Christ, they are sons of Abraham. They are the seed of Abraham. He is a Jew who is one inwardly. And that border guard said, wow. And he said, well, come on, you can go. <laughs> but I've got rights and access to something more important than a historical monument. I have access to the throne of God. To me and to you belong the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the promises, hallelujah, and the worship. So can the children of Abraham worship the Lord in this place right now? Stand with me to your feet and give God a shout of praise.